um, we are continuing our discussion of questions in the Gospels, and sometimes it just looks like reading through a passage and talking about it. But uh, anyway, that's where we're at, and we'll start, like I think I mentioned last time, we'll start moving around a little bit in some of the other Gospels and things. So look at these stragglers coming in, my goodness. Whose kids are these anyway? <laughs> All right, let me pray, and then we will get started. Your girl's sitting up here in the front. I'm waiting for like an apple or something, right? <laughs> Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for uh, this beautiful, beautiful morning. Thank you for the cooler temperatures. We thank you for the seasons that change and the hope that comes with those. Um, Lord, we thank you for, uh, most of all, for Jesus, for the sacrifice that you made um, so willingly. And um, we just pray that as we come to your word this morning, that by your Holy Spirit, you would guide us, you would speak to us, you would work in us um, your truth, and that our hearts would be open to hear from you, that our hearts would be open to be more like you. And so we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so John chapter 6. Starting in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about five thousand. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were uh, seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. So, feeding of the 5,000. So this is an interesting... I remember when Peter Reed was here um, last year at Thanksgiving, he was, talking, he was preaching from John and talking about the fact that John, it seems that he wrote his gospel to kind of fill in some of the holes and fill in some, not holes necessarily, but to kind of go, okay, here's some things that I think should have been included that the synoptics didn't or whatever. And so he, he wrote his gospel for that reason. So there aren't a lot of things, there are very few things actually that John includes that the synoptics also include, but this is one of them. The feeding of the 5,000 is in all four of the gospels. So my question is, why do you think John would have included this miracle in his gospel. Anybody have any thoughts? I mean, it's such a clear presentation of the 
representation of the impossible. Yeah. And that oftentimes we want to we want to shrink problems down so that we can deal with them. Right. Because it's our responsibility to deal with them, and it's actually our responsibility to yield to the manifestation of what the world wants to do. Yeah. And that's something that, for myself, I don't really expect that it can be possible because I keep looking to what I can do. Right. Yeah. We keep we keep doing that. Um, I think there's a couple of reasons why John included this. The main reason, I think, is we'll actually cover next week when we finish chapter 6. Um, but for right now, we'll kind of get into this other idea, and I'll, I'll build on that. We'll kind of hopefully you'll see what that is um, as we get to it. But as we look at the text, why was the crowd there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they'd seen what he'd been doing, and so they're coming, right? Um, that seems to be the main reason why, why the text here, at least what John indicates, is why they were here. Um, when you look in your Bible and it says signs, it says um, you know he was he was performing. Um, signs which he was, uh, yeah, the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And if you look in your notes there, um, at least in the NES, it, it talks about signs can also mean attesting miracles. So these miraculous things that are happening are why these people was, were there. Um, so I'm going to take a little, we're going to kind of take a little side trip here because um, it's not Really, I think exactly, it's not primarily what this passage is talking about, but, but was Jesus primarily concerned with people's physical bodies and making them whole, making them function as intended? No. What was his primary concern? Okay. What's that? Oh, yeah, that they would know him. It was spiritual. It's not physical. He's not, he's not concerned so much with the body um, as he is with the spirit. So um, what was the point of his miracles or his signs? Show them who he was. Yeah. Max, what did you say? I was going to say Yeah, yeah. They, they were testing miracles. That's, that's what they are. Um, they were to point out who he was. But ultimately, um, ultimately, the healing didn't take place for the benefit of the person healed, but really to point to who Jesus was. The person gets the benefit, but, but the real purpose is to point to who Jesus is. Now, yeah. Sure. He cares so much that he sent Christ to us. There are lots of levels, of, I think, in addition to just the testing miracles. Right. Because it was prophesied that back to the Messiah would be, he would come and he would heal our physical pain, our spiritual pain. Right. Um, his main concern, but to, to show our, his love for us, sometimes we need that physical touch, that physical healing first, so then our hearts will follow. Right. Right. Yeah, there, there, there is some, some truth to that, for sure. But I think when we look at what the signs were ultimately for, 
And why do they call him a testing miracles? It's, it's because they were to attest to who he was. And, and my next question really deals with what you're talking about. Did his compassion for people move him to heal people? Yes, yes I think so. Sometimes even when it was really to his detriment to go ahead and do it. It maybe wasn't the best for what was going to happen right now, but his compassion for these people and, and the, the hurt that they had. And, you know, there's times when it talks about his, his compassion is what moved him to do what he did. Um, so, but what was his first response sometimes when a person did come to him for healing? Did he always heal them first? What did he say? Okay. A lot of times he'd ask a question. And sometimes he'd say, your faith has healed you. Your sins are forgiven um, before he ever deals with healing their body. So it was that spiritual, that, that's the primary, that's the first concern. What's his primary concern today? Yeah, it's still the spiritual, right? Do we long for physical healing? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of people in this room that have been in the hospital recently, you know, spent some time there. There's people that aren't in this room that have spent a lot of time in the hospital. We long for spiritual healing. We, or we long for physical healing. We pray for it. Sometimes we beg for it. When he heals, why does he do so? Because he loves us. Ultimately, it has to be that it's best for our spiritual growth. Will he heal us if it's going to damage our spiritual growth? Um, ultimately, no. I mean, sometimes it, the, the path to get where we're supposed to go, it, it may look like God healed that person and they went off the tracks, you know. But his purposes are ultimately for spiritual healing, not for physical. If he doesn't heal us, why doesn't he? Because it's the best for us spiritually. What is his highest goal for us? To know him? Make him known? To be like him. We are to be like Christ. Physically or spiritually? Spiritually. Right? How much does the Bible talk about what Jesus looked like? Not much. It talks about he was marred beyond recognition. You want to, be, want to follow after Jesus physically? You know, um, it, We are to be like him spiritually. Um, all right, let me get us back on track. Um, so what, was, what would be the significance of the Passover being near? John talks about the Passover was near. Um, why, why, is that a, why is that an issue? Or why, what would be the context of that, you think? The annual atonement for sin. Yep. Okay. Right. Yeah. Is it? Right, right. Israel? Yeah, yeah. 
So I think those things we're going to see more as we go through the end of chapter 6. I think right here, um, I didn't catch who said it, but somebody said, there's a lot of people moving. There's a lot of people on the move right now. So I kind of suspect that that's how suddenly we have 5,000 people. Um, you know, there's lots of people that are on, this, on their way to Jerusalem. A lot of people have heard of Jesus by now. They've heard about what he's doing. They've heard about all, all these things about him. And so they hear, oh, Jesus is over here. We could take a day detour. You know, we could, we could go see what's up with this guy on our way to Jerusalem. We've got a little extra time. Um, that might be worth the trip. So Jesus is sitting down with his disciples, probably for some teaching time. He sees a large crowd coming, and what does he do? He says, he turns to Philip and he says, where can we get bread to feed all these people? Put yourself in Philip's sandals for a second. <laughs> you see a crowd of probably 10,000 plus, right? If it's 5,000 men, you know it's at least 10,000, probably more than that. Coming up the hill, and Jesus turns to you and asks, where do you suppose we can buy bread for all these folks? Nowhere. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? What? Uh, I'm sorry, what? Uh, I can imagine the first thought going through his head is, who said we're supposed to feed these people? <laughs> How did we get into this? How did we get roped into this deal, right? Um, we didn't invite them for some reason. I know. Did I miss the invitation part? Um, you mean they think they can just show up here and expect a free lunch? And why are you asking me? You know. <laughs> so today's potluck, so I, I thought, you know, what if suddenly we had 10,000 people out in the parking lot and the street? I mean, this is a lot of people. And um, the elders said to the ladies in the kitchen, hey, we need to figure out how to feed all these folks. What do you think? What would you say? <laughs> what would be your first knee-jerk reaction? I'm asking my wife because she's always in there. You better start praying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we don't have it. With what we got here, I don't think so. Um, one commentary suggested Jesus may have asked Philip because he had lived in the area. So it would be like if, be like if we're having a church picnic up at the Jonas Ranch, up where the hills live, and um, out in Candelia, if you're not familiar. And you asked one of them, we asked Chase, um, where can we get about 2,000 loaves of bread here locally? <laughs> What'd you say, Chase? No not a clue. Can't help you, right? Um, nowhere. And even if you did, it would cost more than you want to spend. So Philip responds in an appropriate way, what we would pretty much expect. His focus was the money, which they had very little of. Um, and he said it would take about 200 days wages to buy enough for this crowd. And even then it wouldn't even be a full meal. It'd just be enough for everybody to have a little bit. So think about half of what your yearly income is. You're going to blow that on bread for 10,000 10, people. Um, Jesus and the gang of 12 did not have that kind of cash at all. So then Andrew steps up with a young boy and his lunch of five small loaves and two fish. They're probably not big loaves. 
Even if they were, if the kid's got his little red wagon and he's got five large loaves and a couple of maybe biggish fish, but probably they're brook trout kind of, you know. Um, perch. perch. Yeah. They're small fish. They're, they're not, you know, mackerel or whatever. You know, they're, they're small fish. Um, Andrew isn't convinced it's enough. But the kid fit offered, so he figures, um, I better mention it, right? Even though he feels a bit silly doing so. So let's think about that for a second. Um, so we, we have a crowd of roughly 10,000 people who um, this passage might seem to suggest were mostly traveling toward Jerusalem for the Passover. Um, do you assume that they were planning on stopping at Taco Bell or McDonald's to get their evening meal before they bedded down for the night? No. So what do we assume? They've got some food with them, right? It's not like they just left the house and, and didn't... They weren't expecting to stop by the lo local Valero and be able to pick up something to eat. They, they, they've got something. Um, they planned ahead. They packed at least some provision. Um, the, the text never says no one had any food. It just simply says that Jesus decided that they should feed them. Good point. Yeah, where the baskets come from. Yeah. Um, so if it's true that some people had some food more than just this young boy, does it surprise you that the boy is the only one that offers what he has? No. <laughs> just like we are today. What's that? It was just like we are today. How, explain that. Gotcha. Yeah. Why the boy? Because children believe and accept lot quicker. They do. So I was thinking about it. If 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 this is the Morris family on this on this journey, um, I'm not the one in charge of food at our house. My wife is. She goes to the store most of the time. She does most of the cooking. If we're going to go camping. I'm not the one packing the food. I'm not the one planning the food. She might ask me a couple of questions about it, but mostly she's the one planning and packing the food and all that. Um, if she doesn't, if we go camping and we run out of something, she's like, oh, you know, or she forgot to, you know, pack some. She, she gives herself a hard time about it. The rest of us are like, oh, we'll figure something out. Maybe. Sometimes we're grumpy. Um, don't, don't make that sound like we're, we're saints <laughs> in that way. Um, but she takes her job seriously of feeding her family, right? Um, and she does a wonderful job of it. I can imagine these wives and moms are very conscious of how much food they have and what the trip is. And now they've probably added an extra day to the trip and they're thinking, okay, if we, if we do this right, we can get there and we'll be okay. Um, And the, the, the disciples were probably thinking similar thoughts. We barely have enough for our next meal. So what are we thinking here? And then we have this child. 
one of the things my dad says about kids, at least this is true for the most part of, of kids in America, virtually every child is on welfare. Yeah. They're, they're, on, they're assuming that their, ki- that their parents are going to provide for them. They're not, you know, concerned with where their next meal is. They don't know where it's coming from. They don't need to know. They just show up when it's mealtime, tuck in, and let's go, you know. Um, next time it's time to eat, there will be something there to eat. It's not their responsibility to know what the, where the next meal comes from. Um, is that irresponsible of them? Yes, but it's okay because they're a kid, you know. We don't expect that much. Um, especially in, in, this, in this culture, it's like, let them be a kid. We'll feed them. We'll, you know, take care of them. Um, so it is not hard to believe that this boy offered what he had. It's actually pretty easy to believe that. As far as he's concerned, he'll go home and mom will give him more bread and fish and if he asks for it. What does Christ call us to? What kind of faith? Childlike faith. In my opinion, this may be one of the best examples of childlike faith in the Gospels, in the, in the New Testament. This little guy did just like... Can, can you picture this scene? There, there's this discussion going on of food, um, and you know we want to feed these people, and he hears Jesus talking about it, and all he hears is food. Well, I've got some food. Does he have any concept of what it takes to feed 10,000 people? No. But he hears Jesus say, we need food. I've got food. You're going to have my food. Here, take it. I wonder if they want it. He doesn't look at the circumstances and see the absolute ridiculousness of offering five loaves and two fish to feed 10,000 people. Even if they were the largest loaves that HEB offers, they're not going to go far still just a meager start to feeding all these people. But he doesn't think about that. He just knows Jesus is talking about needing something that he has. So I'll give with that what I have. So do you think this boy was up there by Jesus and heard him? How did this boy know? It's an excellent question, and it doesn't tell us. All the Gospels, some of the Gospels just talk about, you know, Hey, the, the disciples come and say, hey, we've got these five loaves and two fish. That's all we've got. So whether they went looking, I don't know, or if the boy's just close enough and he hears, I don't know exactly how it happened. But clearly at some point he hears and goes, here, take this. We know that much. Um, I do think that one of the reasons that if it were one of us out there, and we had five loaves and two fish, and we hear him talking about needing food. What would be one reason we wouldn't bother? Because we know it's not enough. We know it's not going to put a dent in this thing. This is, I mean, why, why bother? It's a drop in a really, really, really big bucket. 
What's the point? Does that ring true for you? It does for me. It'd be just silly to do that. We might call that adult-like faith. We look at the circumstances. We weigh the positives and negatives. That's how we do things. That's how we get by, as Lugie was saying early on. We, you know, I've, I've got to think through these things. I've got to figure out how this all works. Not a child. Just give what you have. Because Jesus or someone needs it. Let's say there's this huge $5 million need. Come to you and go, hey, there's this need, $5 million. What are you going to think? I haven't got it. I haven't got much. I mean, I, I could give a little bit. What, what, what good's $100, $50, or $20, or $5, or $1, or $0.05? Cents? What good is it? It needs $5 million. Are you kidding me? It's a waste of time. I mean, I can give you this, but so what? You're not even going to be able to you know, put a postage stamp on to send it to somebody. We'll come up with a whole list of things why my little pittance isn't worth messing with. What does a child do when you tell them there's a $5 million need? They'll go grab their piggy bank. It's got a little something rattling around in there. Here, take it. It's a drop in the bucket. Are you kidding me? Come on, kid. We got a real need here. Do we ever do that as adults? Come on, mom and dad, this is serious stuff, okay? You know, we got a real problem. We got to figure this out heart of a child comes and goes, here's what I got. You want it? Maybe you hear that the pregnancy center needs volunteers. Well, I'm so busy, I'm sure I couldn't make my schedule work out. The church has a need. A local ministry has a need. The local jail or hospital is looking for someone to act as a part-time chaplain. What's your first thought? I'm not equipped for that. I don't have the skills, the time, the energy, whatever. You know what? You're right. You don't. You don't have any of those things. Not to do it well. Not to do it effectively. What can we do apart from him? Big fat goose egg, right? Nothing. Are you approaching opportunities, opportunities the Lord is putting in front of you based on what you have to bring or what He has and what He is capable, capable of doing through you? Mostly, I think, as adults, we weigh what we have and find it lacking and say, well, I'm not sure what, you know, I guess somebody else will have to deal with this. Most of, most of us, including me, I'm totally including myself, tend to think of the limitations that are going to keep us from doing what the Lord has for us, rather than in childlike faith, 
being certain that the Lord will supply all that He can give and all that He needs as we bring our feeble offerings. Are you bringing your excuses to God when He calls? Don't bring your excuses. Just bring your empty hands. He's going to give what's needed. He, he just needs you to show up. What this young boy does is so beautiful and so convicting. It's so simple. It's so little and, and trivial, it seems like. All right, moving on. So Andrew brings the lad to Jesus with the loaves and fishes and does so in a very adult-like way, just like we would. Here's this stuff. It's not nearly enough. But the kid was so cute and innocent, so um, he obviously has no clue what this is, uh, that this is a very small drop in that very big bucket. But, you know, what are you going to do, right? So that, that's kind of Andrew's attitude. It's like, <laughs> here's this kid. He's got the five loaves, two fish. Obviously, it, it's not enough, but here. Um, here he is. So I will say, I, I've got to ad, admire Andrew that he did come and he did bring it. He, he could have told the kid, stop, shh, 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 shh. you know, back off, it's okay, you know, just hang on to that stuff because it's not nearly enough. But he did, he brought, he brought him to Jesus. So then in verse 10, um, you know, Andrew, Andrew says, but what are these for so many people? And Jesus doesn't answer his question directly. He simply tells, tells the disciples, have the people sit down. All 10,000 plus. So they took, sat down and Jesus took the loaves and did what? What did he do? He what? Yep, he gave thanks. He gave thanks. If you were in the same situation, would you find it difficult to give thanks? Probably. Probably so. Would you feel foolish giving thanks for so little? Probably. <laughs> would you even give thanks? Uh, maybe not. What would you be giving thanks for if you did? For provision. For provision. What do you suppose Jesus gave thanks for? Okay, the opportunity to show God was there. And faith for the little boy. Yeah, thanks for the little boy that had this faith, so simple, so pure, such a good example. Who did he give thanks to? His father. Yeah, why? What's that? Yeah, that's who sent him, and what'd you say? Because he provided. Because Jesus had childlike faith in his father. He knew his father wanted to do this thing. I don't think, you know, John says um, when Jesus asked uh, Philip, this he was saying to test him, verse 6, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. I think Jesus knew that he was intending to feed these people. I don't know that he knew exactly what that was going to look like at that point. I don't know that he knew that there were going to be five loaves and two fish. And I think he was 
he was like, it's clear the Father has told me by the Spirit that, that he wants to feed all these people. I'm not sure how he's going to do it yet, but he's going to do it. And so he says in very childlike faith, this beautiful, pure faith, because that's what Jesus has in his Father. Thank you. Thank you that you're going to figure out a way to feed all these people with five loaves and two fish. It's what you've got. It's what you've given us. And, and you're going to make this work. Um, I don't think that he necessarily knew how the Father was going to heal people when he did either. I don't think he knew all the ins and outs of it. As a man. As a man. But again... We have to acknowledge that Jesus had to put some of his deity on a shelf in order to be a man walking on this earth. He certainly wasn't omnipresent. That's kind of a big, you know, God quality. So I think he, I think he did. I think he was being submitted to the Spirit. And when the Spirit said, we're going to heal this person, he said, okay, let's heal him. You do the healing. I'll be there. I'll, I'll, do what, I'll do what you're asking me to do. It wasn't Jesus healing people. It was the Spirit working through him according to the will of the Father. You know how many times Jesus says in the Gospels, I'm here to do the will of my Father. He was not here to do what he wanted to do. He was here 100% to do the will of the Father. Whatever the Father wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do. It's not about me. I'm doing miraculous signs so that you know who I am, yes, but it's all about bringing glory to the Father. That was the whole purpose. All right, so I, I just find this interesting. I, I've, I've read through the book of John a number of times, quite a few times, and this is the first time this this kind of jumped out at me. So I'm just going to ask you, if you were going to describe the scene, say you were there, you were an eyewitness, you were close enough to see exactly what went on, how do you think you would have described it? What are some of the kind of the key points that as you're telling your story about what happened, what are some of the, the big things you would have mentioned? Probably how the food was multiplied. Yeah, how the food was multiplied. There were only this many, and then this many people got fed, and there were this many baskets left over. What else? I, I just find it interesting that, that John focuses, he, he says, you know, he gave thanks, having given thanks. And I, the reason it jumped out at me is because when there's some things are said multiple times, it's worth noticing. So go over to verse 22. So after, you know, we ended where Jesus went up on the mountain, the disciples get in a boat, um, they get into the storm, Jesus goes out, walks on the water, they end up going across the lake. And so, verse 22, the next day, the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And I've skipped over that, I don't know how many times. Just like, okay, yeah, you know, it was the thing where they, he did all the, it was, it was that a miraculous food thing, right? What does John say? The place where Jesus gave thanks. 
near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. That was his focus. Jesus gave thanks. That's a big deal. We tend to get caught up in the sensational parts, the big, impressive, crazy parts. Jesus gave thanks. And it was amazing what happened from a man submitted to his father who gave thanks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you think about serving communion on a Sunday morning, you know, it takes a little while. Oh, yeah, it took a while for sure. Yeah, and then gather up whatever's left. Yeah. Um, you know, I doubt that the young boy even thought to say thanks that God would use his small offering. I don't think he even thought about it. It wasn't his business to know how God was going to use his meager offering. He didn't need to know what God was going to do with it or not do with it. He said simply, said, here, take it. This, take this. Apparently you need it, so just take it. I could argue that Jesus didn't really need to verbally express thanks to the Father because he was always aware, constantly aware, that everything he did was a result of the Father doing in him what he desired, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Then again, on the other hand, I could say, well, Jesus spent an awful lot of time alone with the Father, and I assume that he, so that he could talk and he could hear from the Father. And, you know, so, so on the other hand, maybe giving thanks out loud was part of his humanity. What's that? He was setting the example. Exactly. And so much of what he did on this earth was giving us an example of what does it look like to be submitted to the Holy Spirit, to walk in submission to the Holy Spirit, yeah, to be filled, to walk that way, absolutely. Yeah. What's that thing you always say about the language of trust? Is thank you. Yeah. So it was like you saying thank you for what you're going to do. Yeah. Thank you based on what I haven't seen yet. You've revealed to me that you want to feed these people. That is your heart. I know that. So thank you that you're going to do that. What does that look like? Don't know. Yeah, it's one of the, one of the Torchbearer's um, teachers. And again, I read it in one of his books years ago and just was so impressed. The language of, thank, the language of faith is thank you. So if you say, if I say, hey, I need a ride to the airport, and Porter says, I'm going to give you a ride to the airport, what do I say? Thank you. Do I, you know, it's going to be 3 o'clock this afternoon. Do I keep going, Porter, hey, I need a ride. Porter, I need a ride. Porter, I need a ride, you know. He says, I'll give you a ride. I say, if I trust Porter, then I say thank you. If I, if I believe that he's a trustworthy individual, I'm just going to say thank you, and I'm going to assume that at 3 o'clock he's going to be there. <laughs> we are not always trustworthy. I have, to put thing, I have to put things on my calendar and my phone so I don't forget things. God doesn't forget things. He is ultimately trustworthy. 
So what supposedly meager things has God given you that you should be offering him thanks for? Do you thank him for the big things? What about the little things? What about the ones that seem so ridiculously insignificant that it seems silly to bring them up? Do we thank him for those things? James 1.17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. We can say thank you. So as we know, God took this small offering and used Jesus and his disciples to feed a multitude. How did that happen? Did the loaves suddenly get bigger? Did the fish grow or become more than just two? This passage doesn't necessarily make it as clear as the others do, but Jesus broke the bread and the fish. It had to be broken. The emphasis in each of the Gospels seems to be mainly on the bread and less on the fish. Why would that be? Jesus is the bread of life. That's, that's part of the point of this whole thing, is Jesus is sufficient. And what was left over? More than enough. Jesus is more than enough. There is more than enough of him to go around. There's plenty. So this all started with Jesus asking Philip a question. Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? And John, John tells us straight out that Jesus, that Jesus asked Philip this to test him. Does he ever test us? When he tests us, what is he trying to determine? Okay, if we trust him. According to James 1, he tests us, and test is another word for trial. Trial and test are very... Very similar words, so if you're familiar with the first part of James. Um, he does so to produce endurance or steadfastness. So what kind of endurance? What kind of endurance is he trying to build in us by letting us go through these tests? Faith. Faith? Yeah, the kind that continues to turn to him. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a physical, it's not, he's, he's not trying to build up our physical strength um, it's, it's not if you love me enough, you'll gain this physical whatever. Um, yeah, I think he is looking for endurance and steadfastness in looking to him. We typically have to go through the same or similar trial multiple times before we start to figure out how to remember that he was the only solution the last time. I'm the only one that deals with that, right? Uh, <laughs> That's why these things keep coming. You go, why does the same thing keep, keep happening? Keep, keep, it seems like the same things are going over and over. Huh. Well, maybe one of these days we'll figure out that he is sufficient at the beginning of the trial, at the beginning of the whole thing, rather than having to get halfway through it and go, oh, that's right, I, I couldn't do this before on my own, could I? I guess maybe this time I can't either. Um, Maybe I should just start with Jesus this time. So according to James, we should be considering these kinds of trials and tests to be joy. Why? What could possibly be joyful about trials and tests? They, Jesus. they keep dragging you back to Jesus. We don't, we don't naturally go to him. 
we've, we've kind of determined that through, through this is we, we look to ourselves first. What are my resources? What, can, what do I have? What, what can I do? All right, so just wrapping up real quick, just some questions. What question or questions is Jesus asking you? By the way, he isn't asking questions that you are sufficient to answer in and of yourself. We need to understand that. Jesus is not asking us questions so that he can figure out, okay, what are your assets? What are your, you know, what are your strengths? You know, help, help me understand what it is you've got really going for you so that I can know how to... You know, he's asking us questions so that we'll figure out how to get back to him. The types of questions he asks are beyond us. And the more we re- respond by answering the questions with childlike faith in him, the more we'll see him do extraordinary things. What was the appropriate answer from Philip? It's the same answer that's appropriate for us. Jesus, you can do all things. Whatever you choose to do, you will do. And I would love to be involved in any way that you will let me. Here are my feeble, empty hands. What do you have in mind? All right, that's what I got. Any thoughts, any questions? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, when we recognize, I had nothing. I came with nothing. I brought nothing. And look what he did. And I got to be involved in it. That's crazy. It's when we come with what we think we have, and we, don't, we can't figure out why it didn't really work out that well. And we get a little frustrated. Well, I'm not going to do that again. Well, we missed the point. Yeah. When we bring nothing... And he does amazing things, and we go, why did I get to be involved in that? I, I don't know why, but I'm really glad I did. So. All right. Porter, will you pray for us?